This is Lee Child, and you're listening to Writer Type. Hi there, this is Ian Rankin. I'm Laurie Rader Day. Hey, I'm Lou Bernie. This is Lawrence Block. This is Rachel Housel Hall. Really good question. Well, that's an interesting question. That's a really good question. That's interesting. This is Sarah Peretsky, and you're listening to Writer Types. Welcome to Writer Types. I am your host, Eric Beatner, and thanks for listening to another episode. I have three writers for you today, plus some book recommendations, so we're going to get right to it. We're going to start off a little differently this time by talking about short stories, and specifically flash fiction, which are the shortest of the shorts. Nancy Stolman is a writer and a fan of short stories, and her new book, Going Short, An Invitation to Flash Fiction, introduces writers to the world of the super short story. Now, this book is a guide and a bit of a how-to, and it explores the virtues of keeping it brief and being laser-focused on the core of the story and how writing short can help you in your longer works. Well, Nancy, welcome to Writer Types. Uh, you have written quite a bit of uh, fiction, short fiction especially, and now you have a book coming out that's extolling the virtues of flash fiction so for the listeners, uh, let's get started. Why don't you give people sort of a definition of what flash fiction is as you see it? I mean, do you have like a word count that's the dividing line for you? Yeah. So I'll give you like the official definition and then I'll kind of expand upon that. So flash fiction, like the actual definition would be a complete story. So a standalone complete story in under a thousand words. So a thousand words is generally the cutoff. Now I've seen people go um, a little above that in in their definition, maybe in a particular magazine or a little below that, but a thousand words is the general consensus and complete. So not a cliffhanger, not a chapter. And then I would say that the unofficial definition for me is really it's a new sort of way to tell a story. So when you put a constraint on there, like a word constraint or any constraint, really, you force the writer to find really creative ways to tell the story. If they, if they don't just get, you know, carte blanche, then they can kind of reimagine how they're telling a story. So what I found in that as people have been embracing this form, a different sort of story is being told. Um, one that really couldn't have been told without these sort of constraints on there. Yeah, I, I really like that. I mean, because I'm a big fan of having those constraints, whether... It's, it's something to just rein it in and, and give yourself a, a structure or I think especially for up and coming writers and beginning writers, starting out with those constraints really gives you, I think, more of a structure to to work within. And then I think it's easier to work on the craft if you're not having to sit and stare at a blank page and think, oh, my God, I could write anything and it could go anywhere. And people mm -hmm. get so intimidated by that. Absolutely. And I and I think you kind of said two things there that I want to touch on. One of them is this idea of, well, to me, the a constraint is really like, we've been dealing with constraints as writers for years. I mean, if you think about a sonnet, for instance, a sonnet has a particular set of constraints. And so 
it's not so much, I think that some people feel like, oh, well, well, why this word limit? Why can't I just keep going? For those of us who really embrace the form, the constraint is actually part of the play. So we're, we push against this constraint. We know we have this certain amount of room. And so we sort of bubble and bounce off the edges of this constraint and create things we couldn't have made before. And then you said something about beginning writers too. And I wanted to just kind of jump in and say, yes, I definitely think that for some, it's a, a smaller story, so it can feel less intimidating. But what I do find is that those people who really both write and read a lot of flash fiction tend to be sophisticated writers. They tend to have already written in other genres, and they kind of come to flash fiction because they now feel confident enough to curate their work in a different sort of way. Yeah, I certainly have known a lot of writers who will just sort of make the blanket statement of like, oh, I can't do short stories. I, I just, I just <laughs> can't. And they're so intimidated by it. I mean, do you think, and, and you know, certainly they're scared off of a flash length piece if they think they right. can't do a short in general. I mean, do you think that this is something any writer can do if they work at it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it would be the same as if the person said, you know, I just can't do poetry. Uh, mm. If you're a writer, you could do any of these things. Now, maybe you don't want to, and that's perfectly okay. But, uh, but yeah, and I think that there is merit in doing these things, even if you want to write, you know, big books, and that's okay. There's merit in learning the skills of flash fiction. So the skills of flash fiction really kind of hone this idea of immediacy and urgency. There's not a lot of space to languish. So writers really kind of, they don't get to indulge themselves the way that you might in a big long piece. Uh, we get really clear about what's essential in the story that itself and what's essential in storytelling, as opposed to um, just kind of falling in love with our own language, which I think we are all uh, prone to do. And, and there's a time and place for that. It doesn't mean that flash fiction is terse or or not beautiful. It is. But there's just a different level of understanding what does the story need as opposed to what do I just enjoy writing? Yeah. Now, in your own writing, when did you find that you liked it really short? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, I began, uh, I wrote several novels unpublished because I loved the novel form and I still love the novel form and I read a lot of novels. And then I was introduced to flash fiction. And to me, the, the marrying of both of those skills really kind of blew my mind. You know, here I've been trying to fill pages to kind of get myself to a finish line of what people consider, you know, an acceptable length novel when really sometimes the stories don't take that long. Sometimes you actually dilute, you know, the potency of a story by dragging it out to meet somebody else's arbitrary idea of how long yeah. a story needs to be. If I can say this in 500 words, 500 really powerful words, that to me is more effective than trying to get to 2000 words because it seems, I don't know, cooler. Yeah, or just because the conventional wisdom says that's what it should be. Exactly. You know, who decided that? We never mm -hmm. know. I mean, what do you find are the biggest challenges that writers face in keeping a story that tight and lean? Well, and I've taught a lot of writers. And so I would say that there's kind of two issues that come in. And it really depends on 
where you were before you came into flash fiction. So if you were like I was a novelist or a memoirist and you were used to writing stories, but they were long, then the challenge for those sort of writers really comes into carving out the essence and um, really embracing brevity and learning how to cut and slash and and all of that sort of thing can be really challenging. Uh, On the other side of the spectrum, if you were, say, a poet and you came to flash fiction through poetry, then you're probably already pretty good at being brief and you're probably already pretty good at being concise. But those writers, I find, will have a little bit harder time really embracing the idea of story and story arc and kind of taking us through a story that actually has movement and resonance uh, a lot of times poetry may tell a story, but it may not. Yeah, that, that's interesting. I mean, I think that is one of the biggest challenges in the flash form is, like you say, getting something that has still a beginning, middle and end within that tight window. It's a skill for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds like you might be a little bit like me in that are, are, when you read novels just for pleasure, are you thinking, man, I could I could cut a lot of this away. Are you, are you sort of constantly trimming in your head while you're reading? Sometimes I am actually. <laughs> sometimes I am. Uh, you know, sometimes I think half this novel could have gone. Right. Uh, those are the more classic novels though. I tend to just kind of approach novels on their own ground. So, um, you know, if I, if I'm reading a novel, I'm, I'm enjoying it for what it is, but I do try to look at people who are writing novels in more uh, interesting and experimental ways, perhaps. So uh, I advocate something called the flash novel, and I actually teach flash novel workshops. And that's really kind of a next step, in my opinion, of where this is probably headed, where people will take all those skills that they've been applying to a thousand word or less story, you know, all of that uh, conciseness and, and brevity and and applying it to a novel link story. Well, and here on Writer Types, I mean, we're definitely focused on uh, crime, mystery, thriller, that kind of thing. And it seems mm-hmm. like that economy, that brevity, and like you say, just sort of getting to the heart of it. If there's any genre that's going to benefit the most from that, it's going to be a crime thriller, right? Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. And and that's the other thing that I really see happening is that the style, the idea, um, what flash fiction does with a story is mushrooming into other genres. So we're seeing a lot of flash uh, memoir at this point. We're seeing a lot of flash nonfiction, crime, noir, uh, thrillers. These are going to be perfect for creating tiny miniatures. Yeah, I mean, I know that there are definitely, uh, there's a a website called Shotgun Honey, which is out there publishing Mm -hmm. crime flash fiction. And and I think there's definitely a lot of writers, uh, you know, that I read that I think, well, maybe you could benefit from some of the exercises Mm -hmm. in the book, like Going Short. (laughs) Maybe you need to learn uh, the the virtues of brevity. (laughs) Right, right. I mean, when you put down the lessons that you've learned in, in going short and, and are trying to share that with, with other writers. I mean, is that all things that you've learned from trial and error and hard practice? Like, are, are we now learning from mistakes that you've made? Yeah, this is basically everything that I know about flash fiction and being a flash fiction writer. I realized I started writing this book 
a long time ago, about seven years ago. And really, as I've been writing it, I've had to keep rewriting it because I'm learning as I go and I'm trying things out and I'm realizing, oh, well, well, now there's this whole other issue that's coming up with people in my workshops. I better write another chapter about that. So I kind of feel like this is everything that I ever had to say about flash fiction and that this book in many ways is like having a conversation with me. All the questions that I've been asked over the years over and over and over that I have answered and then gone back and changed my answer and revised my answer again and again, it's all distilled into this. Well, excellent. I think it's a, it's a great resource for writers who are both wanting to get into the world of flash fiction if they if they haven't tried something that's this short and, and, and don't have the confidence that they think they can't tell a complete story in, in that length, which I think everyone has it in them for sure. But I also think, uh, you know, like we've touched on, I think this is a great example of using these lessons and applying it to that longer form, that novel form, like you said, and, and just getting to the meat of, of the story without uh, all the extra fluff that is going to potentially distract readers, bore readers, or just uh, in the end of the analysis doesn't need to be there. I think that's a great lesson that all writers could, could benefit from either learning for the first time or be constantly reminded of. You know, mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, it's like a tool in the toolbox, so to speak. And uh, many people, as they discover flash fiction, they just sort of fall in love with it, as I did, and they just don't look back. And I get that. But just as studying any genre is helpful for you as a writer, I think that the, the merits of spending a little time reading and studying flash fiction is going to help you be a better writer, regardless of what you're writing. Next up, we have a writer of short stories, many of which feature his recurring character, Bishop Ryder. Bo Johnson is the author of A Better Kind of Hate, All of Them to Burn, and The Big Machine Eats. Now, if you like your crime fiction to hit as hard as a pair of brass knuckles, then this is definitely the stuff for you. All right. Well, what do you say you want to talk about books? Sure, and hey, I just want to say thanks for uh, for for having me on. That's this is awesome. This is my first podcast ever. <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, I'll try to make it painless for you. <laughs> I I've heard you before. You you do good work. So, Bo, you are uh, classically Canadian nice, but your recurring character Bishop Ryder is not. Let's just say he uh, he sometimes has oh, anger management issues. He's a little quick with the, with his fists and maybe some stronger stuff. I mean, wh- some instruments, yes. Yeah, yeah. Where does a character like that come from out of your nice guy skull? I don't really have an answer because I, I try to be fair to everyone. I want everyone to have a seat at the table, but sometimes there's these assholes in, in the world <laughs> deserve to be punished. And I think it stems from that. And I just take it out in my fiction. So it's a little bit of wish fulfillment. You, uh, Bishop Ryder is your uh, your id? Is that, I forget which, your id or your superego, whichever one that is. I'm going to go with id. <laughs> People, especially, you know, family members when they read it for the first time, you know, uh, you know, they've grown up with me and then, you know, I get the old side eye and I'm like, no, it's not really like I'm thinking about killing you, but you know what? <laughs> it's all fiction. <laughs> but for God's sakes, don't cut Bo off in traffic or things <laughs> yeah. might get dicey, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so your Bishop Ryder books have all sort of come in these collections of linked and sometimes standalone stories, and they're often paired with other stories. Uh, 
are Bishop's Adventures best told like that in short doses? Like, would a full length novel of Bishop Ryder be just too much for people to handle? That's a good question too. I don't think it'd be too much. It's just I don't think I, I have the ability to write a full novel. Oh, nonsense! Uh, I, I've tried and I just haven't been able to. But it seems that I can tell his story through short stories, through his the forty years that it happens, and uh, it just it seemed to work for me. I didn't notice until the fourth or fifth story that I'm like, oh. I, th- these things are connected. And, and it, since then it's, it's grown. I think the first book, there was nine, there were 16 in book two. And then I think there was 20 in book three. And then I have a new book coming out next year and it's uh, 25 straight Bishop Ryder stories. Well, now do you start with, you know, the character, like is, do you take Bishop and try to find trouble for him to get into, or are you starting with uh, sort of a conflict and, and start, you know, you brainstorm a story and you think, oh yeah, yeah, Bishop could get tangled up in this mess. Uh, yeah, I've always been, I've always said, I'm like, a, I'm a what if guy, you know, I'm like, hmm, what would happen if I threw this guy over a bridge and a train was coming and the story usually goes from there. But as I've gotten deeper into to Bishop's life, it seems like the more stories I have, they can become either a prequel or a sequel to that certain story, which then can spawn its own. And that's how I've seemed to be, these stories seem to connect. I had to have a dividing line because I'm like a pantser by uh, by trade. And so I cut off a part of his leg and I say that's the middle of his story. So I can go back and forth <laughs> from there. <laughs> well, that's a good, so, you know, yeah, dividing line. And, and uh, yeah. now do you, ever, do you ever lose track of... Uh, the torture you put him through? Uh, no, no, I have that pretty good. I did have to, I must say, I have to maybe on story 35, I had to start making some notes to, to say uh, who's in this section of his life and who's in this section and what body parts he's lost. And yeah, I did have to do that. And uh, Bishop doesn't seem like the kind of guy that would appreciate being put through all, uh, put through the ringer the way you do. I mean, uh, heaven forbid he ever comes off the page and meets you in a dark hour. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's funny you say that. On Twitter, I created a Bishop Ryder account and he uh, takes it to me every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> like, just leave me alone for God's sake. Can, can yeah, I have a happy ending, please? Yeah, yeah. He sort of antagonizes me on there. Yeah. <laughs> It sounds like you're, uh, you maybe he's, he's a louder voice in your head now than you ever expected. Oh no, you're totally right. And I, I always, uh, I, I'm fortunate that he, he left me for a while. I say for about a year and a half, I, I, I didn't write. And then I broke my collarbone about three years ago. And as I was healing in my chair, I had nothing to do, but think, and his voice came back and I wrote uh, half of, uh, the big machine eats in a chair. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Were the stories just coming fast and furious at that point, and and with, with all that time to mull it over? Yes, it, it did. I always, I'm always of the get your seat in the chair, and sometimes writing begets writing begets writing. You know, if if you don't get in a chair and you start, but once I do start, yeah, they seem to they play off one another, and I can go for spurts. But then there's been sometimes, like I said, a year and a half I didn't write, and then there's been another spurt for six months where I didn't write. But then I've been writing this last year nonstop almost. But now if you ever run drive ideas, are you tempted now to like hand one of your kids a baseball bat and say, help daddy out here? <laughs> they could get yeah. you laid up in a chair for months if they really oh, went easy. to work. Well, they, they, they helped me get in the chair in the first place. I've retired from <laughs> Ultimate Frisbee. Let's say, let's put it that way. <laughs> wow. Well, you are a, a tireless promoter of other writers and, and you, to the extent that you've even opened a small bookshop at, at your business that you run there. I mean, what what do you like about getting books into people's hands? 
Uh, well, I just, I love, well, I've always loved reading, you know, and it always, with me, it's Stephen King. And then it was maybe 10 or 12 years ago that I found my way to crime fiction. And, you know, I haven't left. What happened with A, a Better Kind of Hate, uh, we have a craft shop, like you said, at our business here. And I, I sold quite a few books in that craft shop. And so over the course of the winter, when, you know, uh, we try and think of new ways to create revenue, the story goes, it was my wife and me, but I think it was my wife more. They said, well, why don't we try other books to sell in here? And so I contacted Eric at Down and Out Books and we made a deal. So uh, that's how the bookshop or Bo's Book Nook uh, happened. So one thing that we're talking about uh, on this episode is short stories and especially flash fiction. Now, mm-hmm. uh, we talked a little bit about how Bishop's, uh, you know, suits the short form. But I mean, you uh, write a lot of other short stories and, and you know, kind of cross genres and that. I mean, why do shorts fit your particular style of writing, do you think? Hmm. I think I, I want to go back to, I guess, when I first started crime fiction uh, and well, I should say before I, crime fiction, I was like time travel monster of the week, which I still do every once in a while. But when I found uh, like out of the gutter online and uh, shotgun honey, and I started reading stories there, I was like enamored of with, with the form. So, uh, I would say maybe I'm a little more now than flash fiction. I can usually my middle point is maybe almost 2000 words a story. So, uh, it, it's hard to get that, that 700 at shotgun honey, I've always said, but it's sweet when you do. For your day job, which we should explain to people, you, uh, you, you give boat tours uh, up there and, and you take people out on a, on a nice dinner cruise and, and stuff. I mean, is there ever any uh, story ideas that come out of that? You know, it's, it's definitely fodder if you're, you're out on a boat, something mysterious happens, someone goes overboard. That seems like you know, prime crime fiction world up there. <laughs> we don't, I don't think we go fast enough for that. We go like eight miles an hour and we have a lot of seniors on board. So... Uh... <laughs> Uh, but there has been some things that have, we've had people jump off. They want to pay their bar bill. What? Uh, I know you would think it's only eight feet deep, but they were running. They were swimming for the hills. <laughs> uh, we've had a, a captain uh, run into our dock and destroy half of our dock one year. That was not a fun year, but um, we've had uh, someone try to commit suicide, which was that was very sad. But uh, oh, we got no. him out of the water and he got him the help he needed. Yeah couple heart attacks <laughs> yeah geez I, I i sense a nautical noir book in your future bo <laughs> yeah well uh it, it's great we appreciate uh, the promotion that you do for uh, all the the down and out titles there and bo's book nook all, all the talking you do up of, of people's work uh, online that you do and i think it's definitely something that uh, people should get to know bishop writer and, and and your collections if you want hard-boiled, hard-nosed crime fiction that uh, does not pull any punches or, you know, certainly is aiming to punch you in the face with, with the fiction. That's, that's your stuff for sure, right? <laughs> I appreciate it, Eric. It's been fun. I, this was uh, this was great. This is, I, like I said, this is my first podcast. I, I really enjoyed it. And I think uh, next month, uh, I think you know Frank, and I, he, he yeah. offered to have me on too. So I'm going to be on two in, in, in one month. It's amazing. Well, you won't have nearly as much fun with Frank. Uh, I'll mention that to him. (laughs) Well, it's time now to check in with our resident reviewers, Dan and Kate Melman, to see what they've been reading and what they think you should be reading, too. Uh, 
Well, Malmans, welcome back to Writer Types. And uh, I got to say, we're only a couple days out from your anniversary and mine. Uh, if listeners don't know, Dan and Kate got married on the exact same day, 20 years ago, well, 20 years and two days now, as my wife and I. So uh, we are anniversary buddies, and it's the best day to get married, wasn't it? It was. All the cool kids got married in September 20, or in the year 2000. That's right. I thought you were referring to like our anniversary of being a, like best buddies with you. No, I don't. I haven't. I didn't write that down. I mean, it was. What uh, the hell, Eric? You didn't write it down? I mean, uh, it's tattooed on my back. Does that count? That's all I asked right. for. Yeah. Okay. yeah okay. Put the date backwards. Put the date. <laughs> you have to look at it in a mirror. <laughs> well, uh, through a series of misadventures that we won't detail, uh, we're going to do a quick lightning round here to make up for a segment that uh, the listeners will not have heard uh, through various reasons. But uh, I just want to real quick not skip over the books that we talked about in the unaired segment. Dan, you were giving the big thumbs up that we all agree with to Blacktop Wasteland by S.A. Cosby. Absolutely. And Kate, you were uh, also endorsing the new book by Matt Goldman, Dead West, uh, the new one in his series. Yes, definitely. So I uh, don't want to let those go by without a big thumbs up from writer types. So Blacktop Wasteland, of course, everyone's talking about it. Uh, Matt Goldman's series, the latest is Dead West. That's It's a great series, super fun. Uh, has the Minnesota roots that I know you guys root for. And speaking of, you know, I just read Nothing More Dangerous by Alan Eskins, who is oh, local yeah. to your area. Holy crap, that was a good book. I mean, I, there's probably a more eloquent way of, of putting that, but there you go. <laughs> That, that's the blurb. Holy crap, this is a good book. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, all right. So and in, in, as we all know, it's, uh, we put one book down, we pick another one up. So let's move on to the latest greatest. Kate, you've been reading uh, the new Jeff Abbott. I have. His new book, Never Ask Me, came out in July. And it's a thriller set in suburban Austin where there's the fa- this family, the Pullet family, and they live a pretty charmed life with... Mom and dad are super active in the community. Mom is very involved in their, her kids' activities. Their adopted son, Grant, came to live with them when he was an infant. Um, they adopted him from Russia. And then their their daughter um, is also just as as popular as, every, you know, as you would expect. They happen to be neighbors with the woman who was their adoption agent. Oh. And the adoption agent uh, is found dead on a park bench in a park in their neighborhood. Everything just starts to kind of unravel for the Pollitt family once this murder occurs. Wait a minute, Kate, you've outlined an idyllic family situation and then you're telling me that it's all torn apart by a murder? I know, who would have thought? What kind of books are you reading? Not romance novels. (laughs) Yeah, well. Abbott does this amazing job introducing all of these different threads and lies and deceptions and misdirections. And you get to a point in the book at the end, you're like, there are not nearly enough pages to unravel this. And he does an amazing job. It's one of those, like, you can't put it down because you have to know what happens next. Yeah. Um, uh, that That's a tricky part. When you, if you have a lot of loose threads coming in to bring that, tie it all up and have a, a good landing, that's tough. Yeah. Yeah. He, he lands it beautifully. Well, Dan, you have been reading uh, one of the latest by our friend Joe Clifford, who uh, seems to be spitting them out fast and furious. So we got to get in quick before his novel, The Lake House, comes out. So you've been reading the the interim book. Yes, Occam's Razor. The lead character is Oz Reyes, 
who is a, a head of security for the Coastal Sports Network out of Los Angeles. But he was a college football star, uh, fast-tracked. Everybody was was expecting him to be huge at NFL. Uh, he gets into a, a stupid bar brawl, tears out his ACL, um, and is just like that, your, your life is sidelined. So he's kind of rescued from the dregs by uh, this woman, Delma Dupree, who is the owner of the sports network. And he uh, has a very satisfying career as a head of security. Mm-hmm. He gets called down to visit Delma without his, his knowing um, she's now in the depths of Alzheimer's and fading real fast. Mm. But in what is, seems to be a very lucid conversation, she implores him to investigate um, this horrible rape murder um, in her family where her adopted son is confessed to the crime and is now sitting on a life sentence. But now he's thrust into the situation where first he doesn't even know if there is something to do because his source is struggling mentally. Mm. He's not a PI. He's not a cop. Right. So really a cool hook. That's cool. Now, yeah. And can, can you, uh, for the listeners, define what uh, an Occam's razor is? Uh, the idea that makes the most sense logically, that's the answer. There you go. Yes. The simplest solution is usually the correct one. You have Google up right in front of you, don't you? I do not. Uh-huh. I, uh-huh. I know things. I've been places. I've <laughs> et in hotels. <laughs> I'm, I'm constantly battling against the fact that I have a film school, college education, and that does not qualify me to know much when my children come and ask me for help with their eighth grade homework. <laughs> Some things I do know. Uh, all right. Well, that is, uh, those sound like a couple of great picks, uh, as always, from you guys. And we are headed into the fall season, although we're in the middle of a heat wave here in LA. It does not feel like fall is anywhere close. But uh, before we take a, our fall hiatus, which we're going to all enjoy a little bit of time off, uh, I do want to invite you guys back to give us a little bit of a fall book preview. Will you uh, come back for one more episode before our break and tell us what you're looking forward to for the rest of the year? Well, absolutely. As long as you're springing for airfare out to LA to talk to you. <laughs> wow. Can you imagine if we did, if every time we had to talk, I had to fly you out? That would be amazing. And why aren't we doing that now? <laughs> That's a good point. I, I will put that on the agenda to discuss with my board of directors, which okay. is me and the dogs. I was going to say, we're ready for the dogs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not now. They got the ringworm. Oh, yeah. Oh. Well, we got two two out of three are down with the pox, so. Oh, <laughs> I mean, if you didn't want to pay, you could have just said, I don't have the budget for it. You don't have to bring the dogs in on it. No. I said, all right, Dan and Kate want to come. Somebody rub the dogs on something that has ringworm. Get them infected. (laughs) They took one for the team. (laughs) My final guest this time is Ryan Sales. Sales is the author of the Richard Dean Buckner series, as well as standalone novels Goldfinches and the brand new one, Together They Were Crimson. This new one takes a long, hard look at morality and vengeance when Norm loses his wife to a serial killer and he must fight with his need for revenge and his respect for every human life, even the one who took his wife from him. Now, Sales has long been respected among other writers, and this new one might just be his breakout novel. 
So Ryan Sales, uh, congratulations on Together They Were Crimson, your new novel. Now, I've, I've read a bunch of your other stuff, your uh, Dean Buckner novels. Uh, this seems like a little bit of a departure. Is that uh, is that the case? Do you think this is different from your other work, or is this where you've been leading to all along? So I, I think it's a little different. This one, uh, a, a couple of things came together for this novel to be written, but one of them was, um, you know, back when I used to be a police officer, we deal with these kind of people all the time, I guess, but there was one guy in particular. He came in, uh, they needed help in the, the ER with this guy. And this guy was, you know, he was probably 50 years old, and he was one of those those archetypal people that just have tried to ruin everything around him. We, you know, we had to wrestle with him uh, into a bed, get him restrained and all that kind of stuff. And one of my buddies pointed out, an older, a little bit older guy that helped me with this whole thing, and he talked about this this man, despite the fact, all the problems that he caused, and just he was fighting medical staff, even for help and whatnot, that this guy still had worth, he still had value because he was a human being. And this, this guy um, exists as a human being, and so no matter what other worth he has or doesn't have, he has infinite worth as a human being just because he's a human being. That, I thought that was an interesting concept in today's world. I just kind of wanted to explore that topic by having the main character in that book, a guy named Norm, his pregnant wife walked into like a ritualized serial killing done by uh, a serial killer uh, who had to kill his wife, you know, to kind of get away with everything. And so now this guy has been victimized. And throughout the book, he, he's given the opportunity to kind of like, you know, exact his vengeance on this, this killer. Uh, we just wanted to kind of explore the topic of, of, is it okay for him to sit there and do something like that just because he's been victimized by him, or does he still have to respect that uh, that killer's value? Well, and I think that's something that is, a, it's a pretty basic human thing. I mean, if something, if your whole world is taken away from you, the first instinct, the first place that most people go is vengeance and, and getting back and trying trying to right the wrong but maybe by doing a second wrong in its place, which we all know two wrongs don't make a right. So I think you've got a, a pretty deep well to draw on there in terms of human morality. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I think so. And that was, and that was, that was fun going through that because I haven't really looked at that before. You know, I mean, like my character, Richard D. Buckner, uh, he colors outside of the lines a lot. And so to have somebody really struggle, because you know, Buckner doesn't struggle with that at all. And so to have somebody who did struggle with that and, and kind of come to the conclusions they did was it was that was interesting ground to explore. Uh, now t- tell me about you know this woman, this angel of mercy, as she sort of re- thinks of herself, who is you know doing these these serial killings basically, but in her mind they're justified, and in her mind she's taking these elderly people at the end of their life, she's ending their suffering you know she she's got her own justification for that i mean as the writer how much do you feel like you have to kind of empathize with that position or do you need to just just portray it and have it make sense to the character logically you don't you don't necessarily need to believe in it to write it right oh sure yeah like i i I don't support like you know euthanasia and that kind of thing to to write her you know like when i was a police officer I would run into people all the time, and in traffic was a good example of this. People will see someone else's actions, and they'll see it in a very black and white manner. But uh, I think it's human nature to hold yourself to a different standard if you perform the same action just because, like, you know all the thoughts and the feelings and kind of decision-making leading up to that. And so, like, with traffic, you watch somebody just kind of weaving in and out, you know, a little reckless on the road, and then ask themselves, man, where's a cop when we need one? But then when that same person's kind of doing it, they know why they're doing it. They know, you know, they're late or they, they're confident in their driving skills. And uh, you pull them over 
and I've, I've had literally had people like, you know, I'll hand them, hand them their ticket and that kind of thing. And they'll say things like, okay, you know, like you need to be out there dealing with real crime. Okay. Mr. Police officer. Oh, you know, and I understand this is, this is, this is a crime right here, whatever, blah, blah, but you need to go out there and deal with real crime. People were willing to justify, um, you know, really any action in their head, I think, if they can justify, and they'll justify, you know, worse things like affairs. And and so for me, it was just asking, well, how would the angel of mercy justify her killing? She thinks she's doing these people a favor. She's she's releasing them from whatever suffering she has, has decided that they have. And and for her, that's caring. That's that's what you're supposed to be doing for other people. Yeah. It, perhaps my my most important question here and, and the biggest mystery uh, about you, Ryan, is that you have seven children. How in the world do you have time to write anything, <laughs> let alone full novels, for God's sake? Well, this, this one in particular was, was a process. This one was probably about two years old. It took me two years uh, from the, the time I sat down to start typing uh, to when it actually got sent off. When I first started writing it, uh, the, the serial killer was a man. But I decided pretty quickly on that, uh, I don't know that I felt too cliche, but it just, it'd just be more fun to make it to a woman. And it didn't really come alive for me until I started writing from her perspective. And then I just quickly just fell in love with her, and I, I wanted to start seeing the kind of the, the, the thriller cat and mouse game between the two of them. But in general, I, I've gotten really good at tuning things out. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like on my days off, like I'll, I'll try and get up my, my wife – She's got to get up at like 530 in the morning so that way she can just have a few minutes to herself. So I'll try and get up with her and we'll just sit there at the table and it's just quiet. Just try and write in spurts. Like you, usually I get maybe three days a week to sit there and just hammer something out. I mean, you, you're the busiest man in genre fiction. I mean, um, I imagine you like pulling out your phone and writing a, a, a chapter on a note in your, your iPhone while you're just in the restroom, you know? <laughs> Not, uh, not quite that. I, I just wait till everyone's asleep. I, I, I don't, I don't get enough sleep myself. I, I just stay up way too late. That's my process, <laughs> my secret. <laughs> well, one of the things that uh, we're talking about on this episode uh, is short stories, uh, and we've talked some about, especially flash fiction. And I know you've written a lot of shorts. You've written, you know, novella length pieces. I, is it tempting when you only have short snatches of time to to only focus on something short, or are you determined to flesh out a, a full length novel? Like you say, like you fell in love with this character, and I mean that's really going to drive you to write something that's a little little longer, a little meatier, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll look around every now and then just to kind of see the the markets that are out there. Or, you know, I'll kind of have like those those wistful looks at shotgun hunting and that kind of stuff. Like, oh, you know, I need I, I should send somebody a story. I don't know if my brain just needs like it needs to be in one gear or the other, but trying to think of, of a complete situation or story that I can write in 700 words or a thousand words just kind of eludes me right now. It's weird. I kind of got out of that mode. Yeah. It's, I guess it's a little bit, you know, like any skill you have, if you're not exercising those muscles, uh, you, you lose it. Here's the interesting thing is I, I think, you know, you, you speak a lot about your time uh, as a police officer. I mean, I think those, instincts even now that you're you're away from that for a little bit of time obviously that gets really embedded and you still have a lot of you know small details and things to draw story inspiration from don't you yeah yeah like you know this it's one of those things that uh when, when you when you go into it uh you come out just a different person you know I, I i thought i was a better police officer than you know right now i'm an industrial mechanic and um i think i do okay at that but i think i'll always be a better police officer than i was anything else my main drive to leave was was just I just couldn't take care of my family. 
Yeah, but it, it stays with you. Like I'm, I'm a different Ryan now after having gone through all that. Well, now, okay, ca- cast yourself back though to when you were still in uniform. Let's say you you pull me over because I've been speeding like a maniac, which I've been known to do. You come to the door. I look at your name tag and I say, "Sales." Hey, you're not Ryan Sales, the author, are you? Oh my God, I love your books. Would you let me go? Yeah, that's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> you really have to think about it. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> well, if if I'm ever, uh, it's, I, I know enough either current or ex police officers that I'm just going to keep a box of all their books in my trunk just there in case go. I ever stop for anything. <laughs> There you go. Well, that's it for this time. Join me again for the next episode when I'll have three more authors and three more books for you to add to your TBR pile. As always, you can find us on Twitter at WriterTypes, and archives of all the old episodes can be found at WriterTypesPodcast.com, but you can get each new episode delivered right to you if you subscribe. Thanks so much for listening.